Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we talk about our favorite comics and graphic novels, and on episodes like this, we talk to the people that make them. Today I am joined by comic book writer extraordinaire David Pepos, writers of such comics as Moon Knight, City of the Dead, Savage Avengers, AXE Fantastic Four, a recent Hulk annual, and the upcoming The Devil That Wears My Face. Hey David, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much for having me, buddy. It's so good to catch up with you. And uh, yeah, excited to talk all things comics with you. Yeah, I mean, what a rap sheet. Like, (laughs) I am a huge fan of your creator-owned work. I have been for a few years now. I'm always championing Spencer and Locke. Just today, I was telling someone about Spencer and Locke. And Scout's Honor was great. The OZ was great. But I think a lot of our listeners were first introduced to you through Savage Avengers, and now they have followed you through your work at Marvel. How have the last couple years with Marvel Comics been? Oh, it's been amazing. Uh, I, I, you know, amazing. It doesn't even do it justice. Um, I just marked my my two year anniversary with Marvel. Um, They reached out to me. It was just before the July Fourth holiday uh, in twenty twenty one to tackle Savage Avengers. And it's, it really is the astronaut job. Um, I, I, I still pinch myself. I can't believe I'm doing it. I've been working uh, 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 continuously uh, with Marvel uh, for two years straight. Um, uh, I still have more work coming from them that, that hasn't been announced. And they're just, uh, they're a wonderful group of people, um, you know, especially, I, you know, I want to give a shout out to, um, you know, kind of my core editorial team, Tom Brevoort, Annalise Bisa, Martin Bureau. Um, and C.B. Cebulski and Ricky Burton, who have all really kind of championed me um, at, at Marvel, um, as well as editors like um, Devin Lewis and Tom Groenman and Will Moss and uh, Michelle Marches and um, Ellie Pyle and Mark Panacea and Mikey Basso and uh, Danny Kazem. Um, you know, just all really um, wonderful people to work with. I feel like I've really uh, learned a lot. Um, I feel like I've really kind of been able to step up my game working with these editors and uh, the amazing collaborators that they, they, they've picked for me. Um, I really haven't had um, a, a lemon in the bunch. Um, and it's just, as somebody who grew up reading Marvel books, uh, my very first comics were all four of them were Marvel books. Um, it really is a dream come true. And I, I always say to myself, what I wouldn't do to be able to go back in time and tell like my six-year-old self, you know, carrying around that copy of Amazing Spider-Man 346, uh, one day that's going to be you. One day you will have written Peter Parker. Um, I think I, I, I probably would have had like a six-year-old heart attack if I heard that. But um, it really does feel like the the leap of faith rewarded. Absolutely. So Savage Avengers as yeah. a project, you take this admittedly ragtag team of great fun characters, yeah. cram them together, and then ultimately end up writing the last Conan the Barbarian at Marvel comic for now. Walk me through that project. Boy, that was, that was, it was such a wild uh, experience. So um, Savage Avengers was the first thing that I uh, was hit up for over at Marvel. Um, uh, Tom Brevoort and I had been in contact for, for several years uh, as had uh, me and and CB Cebulski. And uh, as, as they've told it, um, my book Scouts Honor over at Aftershock was kind of the, 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 that's what made me hit critical mass with them. Um, that was the book that they said, okay, we think he, he might be ready for prime time. And um, when when I, I distinctly remember I was on my couch, I get this email from Tom Bravort saying, possible Marvel project. 
And uh, I felt like my soul leave my body. I, I just was like, I don't know. You know, I, I didn't even know what it was. And um, Tom was like, well, we have a possible project for you, but we need you to fill out the paperwork that basically says, you know, if we're coming up with a similar idea, um, you know, independently, you, you can't sue us. And um, so I filled it out and I thought, oh, I'm so excited. You know, maybe they're going to give me like a, a one shot or an anthology story or, you know, oh, maybe a mini series if I'm really, you know, uh, uh, thinking shooting for the stars. And uh, Tom goes, we're looking to relaunch Savage Adventures. <laughs> and uh, I felt my soul leave my body yet again. And um, it was such a, a wonderful experience. You know, I I wondered, like, why why me? Why Savage Avengers? And I quickly realized that's the mashup book. Just in all of my other books from Spencer and Locke, Going to the Chapel, The OZ, Scout's Honor, uh, you know, even the upcoming Grand Theft Astro, which we are still working on. Um, you know, it's all mashup books. And so... Uh, funny enough, you know, they said they had told me at the time this was before um, before the situation changed as far as the Conan rights were concerned. They'd said, "Well, it's up to you if you want to use Conan. Um, you know, let us know." And I said, "Well, you know, how? When else am I going to get the opportunity to write that character? Like, I really mm -hmm. should run with it." And um, at the time, I was thinking, "I don't have any Conan stories." You know, I, I was a huge Marvel Universe fan, um, but like Conan, you know, I, I watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies and I, I love those, but I wasn't quite as as, as deep with, with that as character growing up. But I did have one Conan story in my back pocket that I had come up with a few years prior. Um, I had written an outline for a Conan versus the Terminator miniseries. And I, uh, I was thinking, you know, I was watching Terminator and I was thought, I thought to myself, why do they pick Arnold Schwarzenegger's face? Or in this case, why do they pick Conan the Barbarian's face? Why do they look the same? And I thought maybe Skynet picked the face of the scariest human they had ever fought. And I thought Conan. So I wrote this outline and I was so proud of myself. And then that week, Marvel announced that they had gotten the rights to Conan. And uh, so I said to myself, well, gonna file that away. Maybe try to make it a creator own thing down the line. Uh, I'll probably never get a chance to tell that story. Mm -hmm. uh, so when Tom emailed me about Savage Avengers, I said, wait, could we do Conan versus the Terminator? But instead of it being a Terminator, it's a Deathlock. And um, I did not know at the time that Tom was one of the original editors behind Deathlock. Um, and so I think he's got a soft spot for the character. And so he, he it was the quickest kind of green light I've ever gotten. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't know it at the time. <laughs> I always laugh. You know, we, we spent we spent a few weeks kind of developing everything. We negotiated the cast. Um, you know, we kind of hammered out the idea for two arcs uh, for it. And um, I still nobody told me that I had the book. And so I, I was kind of like, boy, we've been really working hard on this. Like, I don't know. I've never done anything with Marvel before. You know, is this what a Bake Off is like? And then it wasn't until um, they brought Carlos Magno into the book. And they said, okay, Carlos is going to be drawing it. And I was like, so I have the book, uh, <laughs> but uh, it, you know, it was such a, a cool experience. Um, and uh, what happened was, you know, uh, as, as, as everyone knows, we, we wrote Conan out of the book and what wound up happening was uh, I had pitched this as sword and sorcery Terminator. So we were going to spend the first arc in the Hyborian age and we were going to spend the second arc in a dystopian far future that had, had come into being because of the Savage Avengers actions in the past. And um, I just turned in my second issue when um, the word came down from on high that, hey, the situation had changed as far as uh, uh, Conan Properties was concerned. 
um, and that they weren't going to be uh, uh, extending the rights. They, they, I think they, they had kind of come to an 11th hour um, discussion. And so they were going to be extending like one more year to kind of give everybody mm-hmm. time to wrap things up. Um, I, I feel like I owe Jason Aaron a great deal of thanks because I'm sure without King Conan kind of already in the works, uh, you know, I think we benefited from that in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had already told Tom and company that um, when I pitched it, I said, you know, we don't have to keep Conan in the book past the first arc if we don't want to. Um, he's already going to be in the Hyborian Age. It's very easy to leave him there. Or we can have him show up in a later arc, having kind of like taken the long way around. Um, so uh, it wasn't too hard to kind of just say, all right, like we're going to use that escape hatch that we had planned previously. Uh, just that, you know, these heroes get sent back to the future and Conan's the one that kind of closes the door for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So really, you know, it's, it's sort of the only kind of curveball that we were thrown was not even losing Conan. Um, because like I said, we, we kind of built around that. Um, for me, it was the only bummer that I had was sort of the way that the news came out. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it leaked in kind of, I guess a haphazard kind of way. Um and it's a bummer because I, I feel like the plan was to sort of announce it in like a normal way uh, to say, you know, we're to say like, this is the, 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 this is the culmination of Conan's adventures in the Marvel universe. We're saying goodbye. And I think as a result, you know, there were a lot of readers who might've checked out Savage Avengers, but you know, I don't think I'm talking out of school when I say that like comics fans, particularly big two superhero fans, there can be a little bit of a conservative streak, not politically, but just in terms of, of their tastes. And so they were saying, well, you know, this story isn't going to go anywhere. You know, why would I want to read it? And mm-hmm. I think that the answer is, well, we, we had a plan um, and we continued that plan. And I think we, we stuck the landing on that plan. And it's a bummer that um, some people's kind of preconceived notions kept them from experiencing a, a really fun story. But it was, you know, our, our, we had a lot of fun, um, especially, you know, once we, once I found out that we weren't going to have Conan for the second arc, arc two shifted a little bit. Um, not in any, like, mostly cosmetically, but, um, you know, for example, um, it was supposed to be kind of more of a nondescript uh, post-apocalyptic world. And uh, without, without having Conan as a lead, I said to, to Tom and company, I said, we really need a new lead. We need another character, like, you know. I said, if we continued past a second arc, um, you know, beyond the initial 10 that we had discussed, I was like, we could keep hopping to different universes and have like a host hero in each one as like a new lead per arc. And so I said, you know, it'd be great to do 2099, but like a post-apocalyptic one. And I said, you know, looking back to Jerry Dugan's original roster, uh, you know, Jerry had Wolverine, Venom, uh, Elektra, Punisher, and Brother Voodoo. Um, I said, you know, we don't have a Punisher. We couldn't use Frank Castle. What if we use Jake Gallows? And so it's kind of like a wink and a nod to, to Jerry's initial roster. And um, uh, that wound up working, like, really well. Um, I grew up on the 2099 books. I think it it um, meshed really well with sort of the, the Terminator-style post-apocalyptic uh, uh, elements. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there were certain, I mean, there were certain challenges for sure. I, I know uh, we talked a lot about, you know, I had a pretty big cast for that book. And um, I remember Tom sort of cautioning me about kind of fitting in too many characters. 
And I think we did as good of, I think we did a pretty solid job with sort of our expanded cast plus Punisher plus Doom 2099 uh, and then Ultron as, as, as a villain kind of popping in and out. But um, it was challenging to, to yeah. juggle that many characters. Um, and that's why, you know, we, we had a bit um, with the Savage Avengers of 2099. We had sort of like a quick little uh, 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 cameo from them. Um, but I had originally, when I had pitched that arc, it was going to be like a full-scale team-up for like a whole arc. And Tom, quite rightly, was like, are you sure you can fit in like 14 to 16 characters and do all of them justice in 20 pages a month? And I, <laughs> you know, I wrote a bunch of outlines. I wrote a bunch of beat sheets trying to see if I could make it work. And the answer was no, not no. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think the... Uh, the nine characters that I wound up having at the end was plenty. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I just, you know, I, I love that book. Um, you know, I, I'd have written it for, I'd have written it for five years if they had let me, you know, and it, it that, you know what, I, that makes it sound like, like uh, uh, ungrateful. Um, you know, I was told when I pitched it that we'd get 10 issues and mm -hmm. we would kind of revisit and, the market, I think, is in a very volatile place, as I'm sure anybody uh, uh, can, can, can attest to. Um, but Marvel treated me so well with that book. And I think working with Tom and working with Carlos Magno um, and seeing the response to that book, I really couldn't have asked for a better first experience at Marvel. And I think it was, it was sort of being able to kind of roll with the punches a little bit on Savage Avengers that I think led to more work um at the house of ideas i love that so i i want to come back to something you talked about with the sort of breaking the news of conan out of school and that throwing off the trajectory of people's interest in the book i guess do you feel like being a part of solicits culture in a larger way with marvel comics has affected your process as a comic book writer or just maybe that's your observations about all that? No, I, that's a great question, you know, cause I think, I think it also depends on the office. Um, you know, that's, that's always an interesting thing. And maybe I'm, I'm pulling back the curtain a little bit here, but like I had always historically written my own solicits, um, but that is not the case at every office um, at Marvel. Um, most of my books, like, like in Tom Brevoort's office, I write my own solicits. Um, so like I, I it's a little bit more of the same for me there, but you know, there are other offices I've worked in that like the editors would prefer to write the solicit copy and, or would prefer to come up with the cover concepts. And, and so it, it, they're really pros and cons to both, to both approaches. I think for me, maybe the biggest shift is less about like solicit culture. Um, and it's more of, I think when you work at Marvel or you work at DC, I think people tend to look at you as a monolith a little bit. Um, I think people do, tend to forget that you're a human being, um, you know, which, which uh, can, can, can sting at times when people kind of say just very hurtful things that like, you, yeah. you know, um, uh, you wouldn't expect to say to another human being, um, especially over fictional characters. But um, I think it's, it's also just, you know, people say, oh, well, Marvel this, you know, I can't believe Marvel did that. And, you know, it really is kind of a, a push and pull because in certain cases there are, I guess there are some things that like the company needs, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
but more often than not, at least in the experience that I've had, like they've given me a lot of latitude. And so it's not like, you know, it's not, you know, I think a common uh, refrain that people asked me was like, well, I, I guess Marvel gave you that cast of characters of sort of like, you know, kind of like the misfits. And I was like, no, I asked for them. I asked for all of them. <laughs> those, those are my babies. And the reason I asked for them is because I wanted to do something with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, in, in it, when you're dealing with a character, like an A-list character, like, I don't know, Iron Man, to throw that out there. Um, it's not to say that you can't do cool stuff with Iron Man in a team setting. I mean, you know, uh, Jed McKay is doing it right now in Avengers. But I think there's a lot more scrutiny on what's going on with Tony Stark because he's got his own book and his own continuity going on. Uh, I kind of wanted to just play with the characters that nobody really was doing anything with and show that they are A-listers in their own right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's that, but I do think, like I said, I think there's somewhat of a conservative streak, um, you know, in, in, in the fandom where I think they're very, they can be very quick to jump to a conclusion that isn't the case. Um, and I totally understand where that might come from. I think there's a, a fundamental misunderstanding in the readership. If you have not been a comics creator, especially not one who has worked at Marvel or DC, I think people misunderstand the timeline that goes into it. And I certainly am guilty of it. I was guilty of that as a reviewer all the time. I, I, there is, there is no sin that I am. I, I, I want, I wish to atone for more than uh, any review that I wrote saying, I wasn't feeling this book for whatever reason. I hope they turn it around next month and realizing like, no, that book that like the next like issue, the next like two or three issues are already written. Like the art is in the can for at least another two issues. Like there's no, like it's the trains on the tracks. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of times where people will kind of jump to a conclusion or, you know, or sometimes I think it's easy to read things in bad faith. Um, you know, it's, it's very much a sports team mentality. And there are people who love Marvel who, you know, Marvel can do no wrong. There are people who don't like Marvel because they like another company. And so Marvel, you know, Marvel can do no right. And I think it's just, you know, anytime that it, you know, it brings me down, like I have to remember that like, this happens it, once you hit a certain level in any industry. And, you know, I should consider myself fortunate that like, you know, if I was a woman or a person of color or, or anybody who is LGBTQ, they, they get it, you know, a million times worse all day, every day than I would. Um, you know, I just, I, all I can do is kind of just get up every day and try to deliver my best work. And I think beyond that, you know, Maybe it's sort of led me to hold my cards a little closer to the vest with solicits, but only a little bit. Um, I do think that, like, by and large, I love writing solicits. So, like, I try to kind of keep people in in the loop and I try to tell them what's a cool hook to, mm-hmm. to get them interested, uh, whatever the cool hook for that chapter is. So, um, yeah, but I think it's just, honestly, I think just the big learning curve for me has just been, it's... There's a lot more. Um, there's a lot more spotlight. You know, there's a lot more people who are looking at me and watching my work and uh, have a variety of taste. And uh, you know, I'm very fortunate for the people who really do enjoy my work. And for those those who don't, you know, you can't win over everybody. Um, and all I can do is uh, hopefully uh, win you over on the next thing. I like that. So you had your team 
of misfits, your babies that you yeah. love. I want to talk about playing with Stan and Jack's babies, the Fantastic Four. Yeah. What was it like to play with Marvel's first family? For really issues? intimidating, really yeah. intimidating. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I've I've had <laughs> I've had a little bit of a pattern uh, being at Marvel. Um, that with, with rare exception, uh, I mean, like I've gotten to play with like some of my favorites, I, you know, I got to write Avengers Unlimited, which like talk about a dream job, um, and Spider-Verse Unlimited where with Peter Parker and, um, any of these sort of spider, spider, uh, related stuff that I've done. But, um, <laughs> I always have this thing where I tell my partner, um, boy, she'll ask me like, oh, what's a character that like you would have no idea what to write. And I always... I in, invariably tell her, and then three weeks later, I get offered an assignment. <laughs> um, it's 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 happened to me three times now. Um, but uh, Fantastic Four was the first time that that happened, where I was just like, "Boy, like you know, it's intimidating." They are the first family of Marvel. There's uh, so much history there, and um, you know, when I was asked to, to to write those two issues, you know, Dan Slot was in the middle of his run, um, and you know, I've known Dan since I was uh, since I was just graduated college, you know, um, I, 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 he taught me how to write characterization. I mean, he's, it, it was very intimidating. Um, and so, uh, Tom Brevoort had reached out to me, um, you know, we worked together on Savage Avengers. We worked together on Avengers Unlimited at that point and Moon Knight, Black, White and Blood. And he was like, you know, do you want to write these two issues for Judgment Day? And I think that made it even doubly intimidating. It's, you know, not just writing the Fantastic Four, but it's, it's, it's baby's first event book. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they gave me kind of the the, the, the one page write up of what the gist of, of Judgment Day was, and um, I you know I pitched a couple of ideas to, to Tom. We had initially talked about maybe doing like two one shots, and the structure started feeling like a little restrictive uh, with mm-hmm. that. And so I I had countered saying, "What if we did a two parter that it was Die Hard in the Baxter Building?" You know, um, I will say uh, Tom and I sometimes we get like weirdly in sync on, on stuff. And the first thing that I thought when he said, do you want to do fantastic four? was like, I'd love to do a Sue storm centric story. And the mm-hmm. very first thing that the very next thing he said was, Oh, let's do like a Sue focused story. Like, I feel like I'd like to see some more spotlight on her. And so um, it worked out really nicely. Uh, you know, I think fantastic. Those two, that two parter of fantastic four, might be, I think, all said my favorite thing that I've put out at Marvel. Um, I feel like it really kind of it played to my strengths. Um, you know that we were able to kind of play around with the, the the superpowers of it all, uh, but also you know the ensemble uh, nature of it all, but also just the, the 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 emotions and the character work. I feel like that's often. I'm also, I'm I'm often trying to find where's the emotional catharsis. Like, what's the cathartic moment in a script? Um, that's usually what I kind of hinge the whole story around. Is what is that building towards? Um, and it's usually somebody crying or giving a hug. You know, like. But I, I just love those moments. Um, yeah. And then also like kind of the the moments of of levity of humor that we can we can throw in the mix. Um, and so that story it really came together in, in a really kind of organic way. You know, we were kind of framing using the, the, the diehard framework. You know, we had uh, Sue as, uh, as John McClane and uh, Matt Reed was our Holly De Janeiro. And um, we had Argyle as, uh, as, uh, as the thing. And then um, uh, uh, the, 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 the cop as, as, as Johnny Storm trying to get in. Mm-hmm. 
Um, really the missing piece that kind of really made the whole story kind of click together. We were, we worked a long time hashing out villains. Um, and the problem is, is that every villain that I pitched was being used elsewhere. I had pitched <laughs> MODOK and he was being used over an X-Men. Um, I had pitched uh, the intelligentsia and, and, and I was kind of told, well, like leaders kind of being used elsewhere. And also like, that's a lot of characters to fit in, 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 in two issues. And it was Tom, again, who uh, he brought up Weebly at Midas. And as soon as he said it, the whole story clicked in my head. And I was like, yes, that is the perfect foil for Sue. Um, and that they're really, they, they, are, they are two sides of the same coin. Um, and that Sue is empowered by her family. You know, she fights for them. Um, they are sort of, they have, her family has elevated her into becoming really kind of this, this ideal model for the whole Marvel universe. Whereas Weebliette is really the opposite. You know, she's been kind of torn down by her family. She's been scarred by her family name. And, um, you know, I, I really kind of wanted to use this story as Weebliette's been kind of fighting for a cause that we find out by the end, it's not even really her cause. Um, you know, and, and it's funny because so much of that two-parter was very much autobiographical. Uh, you know, I... I I consider myself uh, uh, in, in, in my own home dynamic, you know, like I'm very fortunate that, that my fiance is very much my Sue Storm. And I'm very much kind of the Reed Richards where like I'm constantly like trying to work out a puzzle. But usually if I ask Claire, she's kind of the one that like will kind of give me the common sense uh, uh, advice that I'm like, oh, that's it. There you go. It clicks, you know. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was very much a love letter to her. I know it's it's it's. Uh, her favorite thing I've written at Marvel. Um, and I was able to uh, give her a nice little cameo as uh, the newscaster in, in, in that second part. Um, so you'll see her in there. But um, yeah, I just, you know, for a story that I was terrified of, um, it was, it came together so beautifully. And I think a lot of that also is, uh, is Juan Cabal, uh, his doing. Um, Juan might be I mean, it's, it, it is really tough. I've worked with so many incredible artists at Marvel. Um, Juan might be my favorite that I've worked with. Um, Juan adds so much to the mix. He really is um, a, a, a storyteller, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, just as much as, as he is an artist. And there were so many elements that kind of that he threw in that I was like, oh, yeah, that's much better than what I'd come up with. Um, uh, there's a beat where Sue jumps on a bunch of invisible platforms to jump on the Herbie's back. And I had, I had said that, you know, she just, she jumps and turns invisible, but Juan was the one that added that little sequence of her jumping from platform to platform. And I was like, that looks so much better than what I, mm -hmm. what I had come up with. And, um, and, you know, his take on space boy was kind of our mutant clone version of Marvel boy, uh, looked spectacular. Um, Absolutely. so uh, I, 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 I've told, uh, CB this, um, but you know, I'll say it on the record. You know, like I, I loved working with Juan. I, I'll do it again. Uh, you know, uh, whatever Juan wants, uh, I will be there. Uh, so yeah, he just he really added so much um, cool design and just emotion and acting and expression and action and just um, he really is the full package and just um, a, a, a wonderful collaborator. I can't say enough good things about him. I love to hear that. Um, I agree. Beautiful issues. I, I'm a big fantastic forehead. So when I saw that 
you were going to be writing them, they were going to be Sue-centric issues. I was very excited, and then I was very much rewarded. Thank you. Um, Thank you. So my final question, yeah. you've picked up a, a larger fan base through this work with Marvel. Sure. How would you like to talk with them about the devil that wears my face? Maybe they haven't been with oh. you on a creator-owned project before. I imagine they're going to come and see what is happening next. Talk to me about that project. Yeah. You know, I'm so excited for the devil that wears my face. And in part, you know, uh, uh, all the Marvel heads out there who are going to be reading uh, Moon Knight City of the Dead. This really is like a nice kind of companion book to it. Like they really do feel like sister titles to me. And I think that's because they're both kind of street level adventures with a supernatural twist. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas City of the Dead like takes place in a supernatural realm, almost like Inception. The Devil That Wears My Face, the way that I've been kind of pitching it is um, Face Off meets The Exorcist. Um, it's uh, the story of uh, Father Franco Vieri. He's uh, an 18th century Vatican priest who um, he's been struggling with a profound crisis of faith. Uh, he's tasked with um, driving out a demon out of a Spanish nobleman, um, a demon that goes by the name of Legion. But uh, as Vieri finds out, um, his crisis of faith causes the exorcism to backfire. And so suddenly Vieri finds himself trapped in this nobleman's body that's trapped in a dungeon because everybody knows he's possessed. And Legion, meanwhile, hijacks Vieri's body and heads back to the Vatican to wreak havoc. Um, I am so excited about this book. It's been in the works for a very long time. Um, it's my first horror book. Um, you know, and I feel like that's always been kind of the missing food group in terms of like comics. You know, I've written uh, sci-fi and superheroes and crime, but I had yet to write like a full-length horror series. And um, I think this is some of some of my best work. Um, but I have to say, uh, it's nothing compared to the artistic talent of Alex Cormick. Um, Alex is a, a supremely underrated talent. Um, you know, he's got this kind of amazingly gritty horror style but that really shifts nicely into expression and, and and acting um but yeah alex is alex is worth the price of admission uh, honestly if you haven't read his work on sink or road of bones sea of sorrows breath of shadows or uh, the crimson cage that might be my favorite of, of all of his books over at awa um alex is a once in a generation talent uh, he is uh, incredibly talented. He is insanely fast and he is just the warmest and most gracious uh, collaborator. Um, I, I can't say enough good things about him. But yeah, if you're a fan of, uh, of things like um, Face Off or The Departed or, you know, um, or things like uh, The Exorcist or uh, The Haunting of Emily Rose or, uh, you know, Insidious or, uh, you know, things like that, um, we've got some fun stuff. Um, it really is kind of a fun historical action thriller. It really is a two-hander. It's, uh, you know, it's half horror uh, and sort of half kind of swashbuckling action. And it's a really fun little cocktail that we've, we've put together. Um, yeah, I feel like uh, if, you, if you've liked kind of some of, my, some of my, 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 my work in the past, it's all based on a mashup ethos. And that's really kind of like we're continuing that with the devil that wears my face. Um, it is a lot of uh, there's body. It's a body swap intrigue story, you know. And so if you like, you know, that sort of cat and mouse, um, you know, if you're a fan of Face Off, you will like this book. I promise. Um, and if you're really interested, if you're interested in, in Moon Knight City of the Dead, I think you're going to like the devil that wears my face just because they both kind of uh, feature these kind of 
tortured characters who, you know, are kind of working things out and um, they're not really doing great at it, but they're doing the best they can. And so much of their journey is going to be kind of about coming to grips with who they are and, and really the truths about themselves and uh, coming out the other side, uh, if not a, a, a better man, then at least a changed one. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about that story. And um, uh, I, I anticipate it. It's one of the proud, books I'm most proud of, and it's one that I anticipate um, uh, selling for the rest of my career. That rules. I'm so happy for you. Also, I love how you talk about your collaborators. Like you can feel the love you have for them. That's, you know, I'm so fortunate. Um, I, I really, I, I, I work with such incredible people and I've been so lucky to work with so many amazing artists over the years. Uh, George Santiago Jr., Gavin Guidry, um, uh, Ruben Rojas, the uh, Ringo Award-winning artist of the OZ, um, uh, Luca Castlinguida, uh, Carlos Magno, um, uh, Juan Cabal, uh, Leo Romero, uh, Alessandra Vitti, uh, Paris Alien, um, uh, uh, Marcelo Ferreira, um, you know, and, and, and so many others that I, I, I'm running out of steam to say. Uh, just they're the real talent here, and I'm just very excited to be riding on other coattails. Um, and just, uh, uh, yeah, I really have not had a bad artist in the bunch. And that's, I think, my favorite part about working for Marvel is that, like, the artistic bench is so deep and mm-hmm. there's so many, so many amazing talents to work with. And seeing the way that they interpret each script, um, you know, it, no two projects, even if they even if you see similarities, uh, if you feel any in the writing stage, you quickly realize, like, oh, no, they're going to be very, very different um, just because of the uh, enormous talent that is interpreting them. Um, so I, I, I'm very fortunate to, to be uh, working with such great artists in both uh, uh, my Marvel work and my creator-owned work. And um, I, I, I hope to continue to keep uh, raising the bar with the, with, with the collaborators that I work with. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any final things you want to plug? You want to point the fans sure. of our show, your fans towards? Yeah, well, um, you know, my, my, my next uh, series that's coming out is uh, Moon Knight, City of the Dead. Uh, that'll be coming out um, uh, the Wednesday of San Diego Comic-Con. So uh, if you're at San Diego Comic-Con, find me. I'd be glad to sign a copy for you. Uh, but if not, stop by your local comic shop and pick it up. Uh, I'm so excited to be writing that. Uh, Moon Knight's one of my favorite Marvel characters. I was thrilled when they were asked, they asked me if I wanted to write a miniseries. And um, the, the quick pitch for it is uh, it's Inception meets Taken. Um, it's, uh, uh, a young runaway is left for dead outside of the midnight mission. Um, uh, but Moon Knight is sworn to defend the travelers of the night. And as long as there is still a spark of life left in this kid, that he remains under his protection. So Mark is going to, uh, detach his soul and travel to the city of the dead to rescue this kid's soul. And, uh, he's going to wind up, uh, going head to head, uh, with an army of dead supervillains that he helped put there. Um, so it's really, really fun. Uh, for those who had watched the Disney Plus Moon Knight show, this is going to be the Marvel uh, uh, Comics debut of the all-new Scarlet Scarab. We have Layla Al-Fawley from the TV show as the Scarlet Scarab, um, who's going to be kind of the co-lead uh, of this of this series. And um, yeah, there's very much, um, you know, if you like uh, The Mummy or if you like Mr. and Mrs. Smith or... Um, 
um, you know, if you if you like either of those, um, you, you you might enjoy this book. Um, it's it, I'm I'm super excited with how it's come together. Uh, Marcelo Ferreira is the artist on this book. You might remember him from his work on Strange with Jed McKay recently. And uh, Marcelo is doing just a, a bang up job on, on the book. I, I couldn't be happier with what he's what he's doing. And um, I'm super excited for for readers to 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 get to see our kind of almost like neo noir with a supernatural bent uh, take on Moon Knight. It's it's very different than what Jed McKay is doing, but it is informed by the amazing work that Jed has been doing. And um, if you read Moon Knight 25, which is coming out next week, that story really kind of tees up. Uh, what we're doing in City of the Dead the following week. So um, uh, keep your eyes out. We've got a, a, a real murderer's row of artistic talent uh, doing the covers, um, especially Rod Reese, uh, Davey Goh, uh, Scotty Young, Pepe LaRaz, uh, Pete Woods, uh, wow. amongst many other amazing names. So yeah, I'm really excited about that uh, about that series. I think between that and Devil That Wears My Face, um, We've got some really fun stuff coming uh, for, for readers this year. So, um, yeah, be sure to, to, to pick it up. Absolutely. And make sure, everyone, to go through David's backlog. Check out all of the books that you've missed. And we will see you next week. Bye. Thanks.